Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Let me see the hands of everybody who, have you ever been in a place that you felt like, doesn't mean you were, but you felt like you were in over your head? Can I just see your hands? Because I want to talk to, uh, you know, misery loves company, so raise your hand again. Okay, all right, some of you aren't raising your hand, so just live a little longer, all right? And, uh, but if you've ever been in that place where you felt overwhelmed, uh, maybe the overwhelming feelings come with feelings like fear or, or maybe uh, anxiety or the, 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 the overwhelm in the, the sense that I feel like I might fail or any of those things. And looking back on my life now, I think when I've felt that way, I'm not so sure that all those moments are from the devil. You know, we like to blame it on the devil. But I think sometimes God allows us to be in overwhelming situations because he's strengthening us to bring us to the next level of our walk with him. And, and if we can, watch this everybody, if we can handle it on this level, then that means that we can handle it on this level. Let me say it another way, because I'm going to get you going with me today, all right? If we could handle it on this level, what used to be our ceiling now becomes our floor, amen? And so God allows us maybe to feel a little overwhelmed so that the next time we get to an overwhelming situation, we face it with more confidence and more faith than maybe we did before. Let me give you an example out of my life. Uh, I don't remember how many years ago, but back when we pastored in Michigan, we bought and paid cash for an old facility uh, that was owned by the archdiocese. It was a facility that at the current time had 12 buildings on it. It was a school for handicapped girls. And uh, back in the 50s, it was built before there were so many programs. Uh, parents would, government programs, that is, parents would drop their children off at this facility literally to live there all year round and be rehabbed and mentored and taught and schooled and all of those things. Well, it had been abandoned for over 10 years. And we purchased the building, and then we were going to drop a 1,500-seat auditorium right in the middle of that after or simultaneously remodeling all of those things. And uh, at that time, it was overwhelming because there was a season in my life where every decision I made cost $100,000. Now, when you understand I'm just an inner-city kid watching Mama put quarters in a mayonnaise jar to pay the rent, how many can understand I was overwhelmed, everybody? But I think God brought me through that season so that we could face another season, come on, and go to higher places. Are you guys following what I'm saying? Let me tell you a little story about that. These 12 buildings, they were connected by all these little hallways because Michigan gets pretty brutal winters. And not only were they connected by all these little narrow hallways, they were also all connected. This whole property was connected by these underground tunnels. Can anybody say creepy, all right? I mean, it was major creepy. Of course, my kids grew up there playing hide-and-go-seek in these uh, in these tunnels, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking Freddie and Jason are hanging out in there. And all these tunnels were there because they had radiant heat and they had all these pipes that would run through these tunnels and they ran from building to building and sometimes they would go underground that w wasn't uh, a building on top of that. 
So what we knew is we couldn't build a building on top of a tunnel. How many know that makes sense, right? So here's where the story gets a little crazy. Now, before we could take ownership of the building, uh, like I said, the archdiocese owned it. The Catholic Church owned it. And if you know anything about the Catholic Church, some of you do, uh, they had statues in every building. And, and particularly uh, some of their places where they would go and have prayer and their dormitories. There was at least a crucifix in every single room. And there were also statues of saints uh, all over the whole place. Now, before we could go into the building and take ownership of it, the Catholic Church had to go in and do what they called de-sanctify the church, and, uh, which is kind of funny in itself. But anyway, we're not going to mess with that. And so they had to go in and take all the statues out of there so that we, non-Catholic people, could go in there and have the building. So one night, I was in the conference room all by myself. We had just taken ownership of the building. I was so fired up. And we had garbage cans filled. We had like five garbage cans filled with blueprints of this huge facility. And I was just dreaming about what God wanted to do. And I had blueprints rolled out on the floor, had blueprints rolled out on the conference table. And I'm looking and I'm praying and I'd look at something and I'd walk down a hallway and go look at something. And when I determined this is where we'd build the auditorium, I wanted to make sure that the, the underground hallways did not connect. Now, how many see something bad already happening, right? It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm all by myself, and there's creepy hallways. How many know what I'm talking about? In fact, I, was, I scared myself one time walking down one of those hallways, and the radiant heat came on. Does anybody have radiant heat? It makes devil sounds. I'm just, uh, in the middle of walking down, that's how they come on, in case you don't know. And when you're in 12 buildings all by yourself, how many know it can be creepy? Well, I decided one night, this is where we're going to build the auditorium, but I needed to see if there were any of the underground tunnels under there. And instead of going to the entrance of the tunnels, I knew there was a trap door that would get me to a shortcut to where I wanted to go. So I walked down this hallway, pulled up the trap door, and this part of the tunnels, most of the tunnels were six foot tall and six foot wide, but in this particular place, because of where they were, they were only about five foot tall. So how many know that's just enough to be uncomfortable, right? I pulled the hatch door, jumped down into the tunnels, only to have my head sticking up about this far. So I crunched down through spider webs. And I, I, I had remembered from previously that there were pull-chain lights in that section of the tunnel. So I'm reaching around trying to find a pull-chain light, and I find one. I'm facing this way, pull a pull-chain light, look down the tunnel that way and go, okay, yeah, that ends and turns right there. We're good there. And I turn around to look down this side of the hallway, and I come face-to-face -face with the Mother Mary, that close. Yeah, you guys think it's funny. I mean, no, I wasn't laughing. I, 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 I thought I was going to be raptured right there on the spot. I mean, now Mother Mary is not supposed to be creepy, but I have issues with Mother Mary, right? I turned around, stared straight at her, and it was almost as though you, it, I could have won $10,000 on America's Funny Videos. I got out of that tunnel so fast before I recognized, oh, it's a statue, and some of you are looking at me like, that wouldn't have scared me. You want to bet? 
I'm telling you, it was creepy being down in there. Now, believe it or not, that's where we find Jonah in Jonah chapter number two, everybody. We find him, watch this, overwhelmed. We find him a little bit afraid. And we find him in chapter number two in a tunnel of his own. It's called the great fish or the well, whatever your interpretation is. And I know one thing, he wanted out of that fish just about as bad as I wanted out of that tunnel. Right, everyone? Today, I want to share out of Jonah chapter number two. We've kind of skipped over that chapter. If you've read the book, you know that Jonah chapter two, every verse is a prayer. And, um, and so, and it's written in a little bit odd rhythm, and, but I didn't want to skip Jonah chapter number two, but I wanted to take perhaps a little bit different of approach to Jonah chapter two, because you would expect me to preach then on prayer, because it, it is about prayer. Uh, Jake, could you fix my computer there? Uh, so today, here's what I want to do, something just a little bit different. I, I, I want to, instead of preaching three typical points I'm going to do something a little bit different. If you're from around, if you come here, you know I like to give you at least three points. But today, I hope to highlight my, uh, highlight the point is I want to, instead of three points, I want to tell you three stories. And so it's storytelling, everybody. So if you follow the notes on the app, you're, you're wondering where all the points are. It's just storytelling time, okay? So get your blankies and uh, let's go. Before I do that, let's do just a little bit of review in case you haven't been here for the series. In part number one, if I have that for the screen, part number one, for me, the overwhelming theme of part number one was a reminder to us that we need to love people. God had called Jonah to the Assyrians, and Jonah wanted nothing to do with that group of people because they had a different worldview, they had a different God view, and he wanted nothing to do with them. But it reminds us, church, that we cannot create dividing walls, that we need to love the people that God loves. Right, everybody? And as we've already stated, that means all people. That means no matter what political side of the aisle you're on, it means no matter what theological side of the aisle you're on, we are called to love people. Yesterday was a great demonstration of that. We didn't check their church membership cards before we gave them backpacks. We didn't check their theological beliefs before we fed them. Come on, somebody, right? We just love people. And by the way, that's what Jesus told us to do, the last thing he told us to do before he left this earth. Part number two, part number two of the series, if I gave it an underlying theme, it would be to wake up. And, and without sounding rude about that, it really is a time for the church to wake up. Sometimes we get lulled into this idea that we come to church on Sundays, we hear a message, we thumbs up or thumbs down it, we go home and we come back and do it all again, but there's other issues that need to happen, come on, in the communities that we live in and with the people that we do life with Monday through Saturday. And so uh, the part of the story was where uh, Jonah was below the deck sleeping when all the sailors who weren't God-fearing contextualized, they weren't Christians, they weren't believers, they were doing everything they could to resolve the issues of the storm while Jonah, the man of God, was asleep. Yesterday I seen community leaders here doing as much as they could to solve some of the issues that our community has. 
And I'm so glad that we have a church that wasn't sleeping below deck, but we were all together on the same deck trying to accomplish some of the same things. Amen, everybody? Come on. we got to wake up, everybody, and we got to do what God has called us to do. Um, and so uh, right now, if you haven't heard, we're right in the middle of purchasing, trying to purchase, purchasing, whatever term you want to use, a brand new building just for us. Well, not a brand new building, but brand new to us. And, and really, this is a call. And in case you didn't get the point last week, this is a call for the church to rise up to action. Because we need 100% participation if this is going to happen. We need people to be involved in, in leadership and be involved in, in remodeling. We need everyone that calls us their church, some at some level, to participate in financial giving so that we can do that. Come on. The world's not going to buy that building for us. The people of God have got to come up from below deck. Come on, everybody, and wake up and answer the call. I ought to hear an amen right there, yeah? And, and, and so our legacy offering that we usually do in November uh, is now... Every Sunday from now to the end of September, and we'll give a report uh, where we're at as to moving forward the first Sunday of October, and I pray that you will just pray and ask God what your uh, part can be. Part number three in our series was our mission. We talked about that last week, and, and just a reminder, and it, and it goes with this whole idea that we all have a purpose and, um, and I think we've seen some of our purpose being fill, fulfilled yesterday as a corporate body, but every individual has a purpose. And not only do we have a purpose, but we have a place. And, and unless God calls you to dig wells in Africa, our place is right where we're planted. It's right here in Tulip Town, everybody, right? And, 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 so, and we also have a people that we need to reach. Uh, number four, then, uh, I'm, I'm having technical difficulties uh, so help me out. Part number four is that we're never, that's today, is we're never too far from God. How many of you are glad for that? Let's jump into, well, right before, we sang a song a couple weeks ago that we do every once in a while here. I wanted to put the lyrics on the board because I wanted to remind us, the song is uh, Reckless Love. And, and I love it because some of the lines sound like this. There's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. Aren't you glad for that? See, sometimes we say things like, oh, I found Jesus, or Joe found Jesus. No, we didn't find Jesus. Jesus found us. He came hard after us, everybody. There's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. Come on, that's good news right there. Those no, there's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie you won't tear down coming after me. Aren't you glad he came after you, everybody? Right, everyone? Come on. And we got to show our Assyrians, our Ninevites, that God loves them and is coming after them. And sometimes that looks like getting a backpack. And sometimes that looks like getting a pair of shoes. And sometimes that just looks like us loving people that might be different than us. Amen? So in chapter number two, this chapter is literally, 100% of it is from the belly of the whale. Let's look at the beginning of this prayer. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Aren't you glad? And from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. 
Some of you know exactly that feeling, that you are at the worst bottom you could be, just to soon be dead when you called on God. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled around me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. What else do I got? I said, I have been, um, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed, watch this, I like this line, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Um, I, I want to just give a little attention to that, that fifth verse, because it's pretty significant. I mean, it gives us some funny imagery. Here's Jonah, he's in the whale, and he's wrapped up like a mummy in seaweed. You know, that's how I see him. But, it, but he says, I have seaweed wrapped around my head. If we were taking that and contextualizing that language, basically what he is saying is, is I just can't think straight. My mind is wrapped up. I got so much running through. Come on, have you ever had that? Has anybody beside me ever laid awake at night and it felt like seaweed or something was wrapped around your thinking, right? Uh, we've been in that place. It's, it's just, it's all in my mind and I just can't get my mind to settle. Or I'm in over my head. Uh, I, I, I'm in a tough situation. The whole theme of Jonah, if we had to boil it down to one word, would be the word grace. The message of Jonah is a message of grace, and it was hard for Jonah to grab a hold of it because all he had was the Old Testament. Hmm, hmm. God wanted to, sh he wanted to, first of all, he wanted to save the Assyrians, but he also wanted to save Jonah. And here's the good news, he wants to save us, and he wants to save those that you know and that you love and that are in your radius, everybody. Uh, so he wants to save us. Now, yes, God, he brought the storm, but he also brought the whale. Come on now. Yeah, God brought the, he brought the storm, but not to destroy Jonah because he brought a whale. I always name the whale Grace because Grace always comes along to save us when our heads are wrapped up with seaweed. Hello? He got the storm. Jonah got the storm because of disobedience, but he got the whale because of God's grace. Mm -hmm. he, he loves, see, God loves us way too much just to leave us the way we are. Yes, he might order a storm to wake us up and to get us to change directions, but he won't leave us there. He will always send grace along to revive us, to save us just in time, everybody. And the overwhelming evidence of Jonah is it's a story that no matter how far we are from God, God still loves us. Uh, God hasn't abandoned us. Uh, I am the one that he loves. Come on. I said, I am the one that he loves. Some of you need to personalize that today. You're never too far. Uh, point in case, the, Assyri the Assyrians. Uh, and you've never failed Christians too bad. Point in case, Jonah. See, what this book is telling me is that the same grace that saved me, Assyrians, is the same grace that will keep me, Christians, when we mess up. Right? Some of us have this idea that grace we're saved by, but you better work hard to keep your salvation until you make it to heaven. No, the same grace that saved you is the same grace that is working in our lives right now. Amen, everybody? Now, our challenge with grace is that we feel undeserving. And we're Americans, and we're used to working hard to get what we've got. 
But that's not what grace is. Grace is the core of Christianity. And when we act like Jonah and we cancel culture and and, and we set aside those that don't look like, act like us, then we forget the message of grace. You can't be mean and understand grace. You can't cancel a group of people and understand grace. Yeah, I'll be loud because you guys are going to be quiet. You see, Jonah didn't know about the New Testament yet. He didn't understand the whole doctrine of grace, but God's trying to introduce him to it. Now, I'm going to give Jonah a little bit of an excuse. He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He didn't have Paul writing to the Galatians about grace. But we do. (laughs) I didn't know how that point would go over at all. See, when we forget grace, we make it hard for people to know Jesus. When we forget grace, there's a barrier between us and them. And God sent his son Jesus to eliminate the barrier between us and them. So there's no longer this group and that group, but we're all part of the human group that are all desperately in need of this amazing grace. Come on, everybody, right? I preached this before, but if you know the story out of John chapter number 11, one of Jesus' friends, Lazarus, he died. He was dead for four days. He shows up, and and he's going to tell Lazarus to come out of the grave. I love this story. I think there's a lot of humor in this story, but I have a weird brain. Jesus shows up to the graveside, which was a cave, and he's getting ready for Mary and Martha. He's getting ready to raise her brother, out from the grave. That's a, how many would classify that as a big miracle? I mean, that's pretty big stuff. I mean, the water into wine stuff was pretty cool, but this is a dead guy that already stinks, right? I mean, this is like a big miracle. This isn't like, oh, I got a $5 check in the mail. Woo-hoo! No, this is like you're going down and God came through, right? No, you're not going down. You already went down, but God redeemed it. And what I find fascinating about the story, and really I find it humorous, is that Jesus is standing there. Imagine it with me. There's the tomb. There's the stone that covers the cave. Jesus is getting ready to call a dude back from the dead that has been dead for four days, already partying in heaven, everybody. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, could you move the stone? Now, I don't know if anybody else in this room thinks that's bizarre. I think it's funny. you got the power to raise a dead dude. But you need help with a rock. I may know what I'm talking about, right? But I think it reminds us of something. And it reminds us of this message of grace. Because anytime we see the word stone in Scripture, it also represents the law. And the law is the barrier between people being redeemed and resurrected, come on, and knowing God's grace. But watch this. It's not God's responsibility to remove the obstacle. It's our responsibility to get the rock out of the way so that people can come to the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody, right? We have to move the stone because God wants to do a work. We have to build a dream center because God wants to do a work. We have to purchase a building because God wants to do a work. We have to get involved in the dream teams because God wants to do a work and raise those that are dead back to life again. Come on, everybody. Yeah. In the 1940s, story number one, in the 1940s, a group of religious people got together, all different religious backgrounds, and they did this uh, interview kind of deal. And so all kind of different religious backgrounds, and, and they had a conversation. And the conversation, or the premise of the conversation, was how do all religions agree and disagree? 
Pretty fascinating. And, uh, and, and everyone agreed that there are things that you should do and there are things that you shouldn't do, right? I think we would all agree with that today, right? There's things you should do and there's things. If you don't believe that, go rob a bank today and let's see how you feel later, okay? Everyone agreed that there are things that we should do and that we shouldn't do and there are things that we should celebrate or things that should be celebrated and things that should be condemned, We should be saying, no, don't do those things. There are things that if you do them, you will be blessed. And there are things that if you don't do, uh, you're going to be punished. And, And every religion, every single religion that was gathered at that summit agreed with that premise. None of them are unique in that sense. But the great C.S. Lewis was at this conference. C.S. Lewis, if you don't know, is a great Christian author of his time. And he spoke up. And here's what C.S. Lewis said, and it's profound. He said this. He said, but Christianity believes that the blessing of God comes not after you've done good and avoided the bad. The blessing comes first. Come on, everybody. See, I can even tell some of you are afraid to clap on that because your head is still wrapped in religious seaweed. Because there are some that are here that still think, I have to do good in order to get good. But what did you do so good in order to be saved? The same grace that saved us is the same grace that blesses us. God blesses us, come on everybody, when you're undeserving. I need to find somebody to preach to. God blesses us when we're undeserving. Yeah, Uh, let me try this. God blesses us when we're undeserving. Yeah, God blesses us when we mess up, mm -hmm, when we fail, when we treat people bad, when we totally blow it, God still blesses us. That's what grace is, everybody. See, in American religion right now, particularly, religion has this Americanized version of what, what, what karma really is. So today's Christianity, particularly in America, has this version of karma. Karma says, if you do good, good will come. Karma says, if you do bad, bad will come. But God says, grace comes, and grace is unmerited favor. Did you hear that? The definition of grace is unmerited favor. That means you get what you don't deserve. How many of you are glad for that? In fact, if you don't believe that, you think I'm preaching heresy, then come talk to me about Romans chapter number 2, verse number 4. Romans 2, 4 says, not realizing that it's God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Remember what I preached last week? Jesus said that they will glorify the Father by your good deeds. So a whole bunch of people yesterday, a whole lot of mamas, a whole lot of daddies, came over here and got shoes for their kids and got backpacks and school supplies for their kids. A whole bunch of homeless people got blessing bags. That was God showing them His kindness I don't know when they're going to believe, but we're called to plant, we're called to water, and it is God who will give the increase. Can I get an amen on that one? Let me prove it to you in the book of Jonah, and that's why I love the book of Jonah, because Jonah had done bad, but he's going to get grace. He did bad. Come on. He did bad. He, he excommunicated a whole group of people. And if he lived in the day of social media, he would have found a Bible verse to excommunicate that group of people. Mm -hmm. But he's going to get grace. 
That's what Jonah shows me. Jonah shows me that when I mess up and when I run the wrong direction and when I rebel, God's grace still runs after me. There's no, there's no depth I can get to. He was in the depth of the sea, in the belly of a well, and God's grace found him there. Come on, everybody. Okay, let me tell you another story then, second story. Bono, anybody heard of Bono? You've got to be a certain age probably. Bono of the band U2, I love him. And uh, he was in an interview. He's not really a Christian artist. He's a Christian that's an artist, okay? And he sings that good old rock and roll music, all right? Don't act like you don't love it. I, I, let me go look at what channel your uh, car stereo is on right now. And Bono has some incredible, meaningful songs. And he was on an interview one time, and, and Bono kept bringing up Jesus. He keeps bringing up Jesus, keeps bringing up Jesus. And the interviewer was trying to ignore it. And finally, the, the guy says to him, but haven't people done some appalling things in the name of religion? And, of course, the answer is yes, right? That's the answer. But here's what Bono said, and I love this. Bono, just re, he just answered by saying this. He said, it's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. He says, but the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. Mm, 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 mm. And so the interviewer went on and asked him, well, what's that mean? <sighs> I can imagine Bono going, ooh, he set me up right here. So he goes on and he says this. He says, at the center of religion is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, or in physical laws, every action is made by an equal or opposite one. And yet along comes this idea of grace. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love this. That love interrupts the consequences of my actions, which in my case is a very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Come on, everybody. Does that make sense? God's grace interrupts us. It interrupts our stupidity. I know you're not stupid, but you know somebody that's being stupid, right, everyone? Jonah would be in big trouble if karma was going to be his judge. And so would I. So would I. And I have a feeling so would somebody you know. So for me, I'm holding out for grace. I, I, I'm holding out whew, that Jesus took my sin to the cross. I'm holding out that I get Blessings that I don't deserve. And the things that I do deserve, God said, I'll take, Jesus said, I'll take that on me. And he took it to the cross with him. I love this because we can read, if you're a Bono fan or a YouTube fan, you know Bono wrote a song about grace. And in, in that, he pictures grace as a woman. And this is what he says of her. Give me those lyrics real quick. Grace, she takes the blame. She covers the shame. Removes the stain. It could be her name. Grace. It's the name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. Whoo! Come on, somebody. How do you like rock and roll now? 
Uh, I knew I'd convert you. I knew I would. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you one last story, and we're on our way. Another story is so parallel to Jonah, you will feel like I'm making this story up. But I'm not. You can read about him in the history books. His name is John Newton. He was born in 1775. He had an extremely religious mother, religious to the point that she was mean and judgmental. His father was a sailor, so he had a seafaring dad that was mean and like typical a drunken sailor. And when he was just a young boy, his mom died. And so his dad took over child rearing. And he was raised by his dad, and so consequently he became what his dad was. And he literally became a drunken sailor. And not only was he a drunken sailor, he was mean and harsh to his crews. And, 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 and it is reported in history books that everyone that sailed with him literally hated him. They didn't want to be on his ship. And, and matter of fact, the story goes that they had, they had docked in Africa at one time, and they hated John Newton so bad that they abandoned him there in Africa. And he went through two years that was just total torture. He, he, he was treated brutal. He had to eat off the ground while his hands were tied behind his back, so he had to eat off the ground with his mouth. Um, he was brutally tortured. There's a whole bunch uh, of stuff about that. But finally, he was able to escape because somehow he was able to get one single shot, a fire off, uh, that caused another ship to stop. And the ship came to shore, rescued him. You can read about it. But here's the part of the story I want to get to. With all that pain, a drunken dad, a mean religious mom, mom that dies, raised by a dad, hated by his own crew, abandoned, John Newton had all this rage, unforgiveness, bitterness inside of him. And so how many know when we have unresolved issues in our life, how we view ourselves is usually how we treat others. And so John Newton, uh, he became a slave trader. Those years in Africa, he, he saw an opportunity. And if you know his story, you know that he would buy and sell men and sell women and separate families and sell children and separate them and send them to all different parts of the world just for the sake of making money. John Newton was an absolute mess of a human. People called him during those days that he was an absolute monster. And then one day a storm came. See, God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Some storms are hurled in by God. And a storm came. Now, he's a sailor. He's been in every storm, but this was the worst storm that he had ever faced. Sound familiar? <laughs> this was the worst storm. And so in the middle of the storm, he realized he was probably going to die. So he did something that he hadn't done since he lost his mom. He prayed, just like Jonah in the belly of the well. When he got done praying, uh, not only did the storm not subside, but then he got sick. <laughs> and he was so sick that the rest of the sailors didn't want his sickness around, so they, they threw him off the boat. <laughs> and, and so John Newton lost his parents, he lost his career, he lost his ship. Basically, he lost everything. And then one day somebody invited him to a meeting just like this. 
And he came one Sunday and he heard a message of grace. Let me add this little part. And he came another Sunday and he seen Christians acting like Christians. And he came another Sunday and they didn't treat him like who he was. They treated him like who he could be. And it was a life-giving church. Come on, everybody. And, and, and so he started hearing about God's grace. And, and that that grace came from Jesus and that that Jesus would forgive him and forgive even somebody like him. And you know what? John Newton, he believed it. And three things became of John Newton. His life totally switched directions as he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And John Newton, if you know anything about him, he's known for three major things after that moment in his life. He changed from being a monster and in three things that his life becomes known for. Number one, he became a pastor. And he started, I think some of the best pastors are some of the pastors that have some real deep pain that God has brought them through. Uh, so he became a pastor. Number two is John Newton began and he worked to abolish slavery. He worked with some important people like uh, Hannah Moore and uh, William Wilberforce. And uh, they were able to do away with uh, slavery in England without a war, everybody. Major accomplishment. And number three, he was known for writing a song. And maybe that song you've sang. Maybe that song you've heard. It goes like this. Amazing Grace. How sweet. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Mm. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and then grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Isn't that good, everybody? Now let's go back to Jonah and wrap this up. Jonah is drowning. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. He has abandoned the people that God loves. He has rebelled against God. He's been in a storm. He's at the belly of a well. I mean, I don't know how to paint the picture any worse than Jonah already paints it. And then let's pick up Jonah chapter 2 and let's conclude this chapter. When my life was ebbing away, doesn't it sound like John Newton? Hey, some of you might be sitting here and go, yeah, but I grew up in church and I don't really relate to that. But could you just for a moment imagine where your life might be if you hadn't got grace introduced to you at an early age? Mm -hmm. If you grew up with a mom and dad taking you to a life-giving church, you ought to thank God for those parents that helped save you from some of the bellies of the well that others have gone through. Amen, everybody? And if you didn't have that and you have gone through the belly of the well, you ought to never need a pastor to beg you to give him a hand clap for his amazing grace that rescued you when you were down. Come on, everybody, right? He said, I remember, I love this because there's something about being in the belly. There's something about being in a tunnel face to face with Mary that makes you remember the Lord. And my prayer rose to you. Oh yeah, I forgot. My prayer rose to you. And those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But watch this. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. 
What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And I love verse number 10, and the Lord commanded the fish to puke. I love that, everyone. Aren't you glad that God has the ability to make the thing that is holding you give you up? Uh, Ain't you glad that God can give that addiction, that problem, that unforgiveness to puke you right out? That's what His grace does, everybody. Come on and give the Lord a good clap offering. Amen. I got to stop right there. Would you stand with me all over this place?